Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good morning for those on the West Coast and around the world. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is March 13, 2010. And before I talk about how to create and maintain a healthy body, the Bible way or God's way, <clears throat> I need to state this uh, very important disclaimer. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. Uh, I have to do it because the Food and Drug Administration requires that anyone that talks about herbs and so forth uh, informs people that the, um, the herbs <clears throat> don't do the healing and so forth, so I have to be very careful about what I say, and so forth. So anyway, here's the disclaimer. Any event that you use the herb information that will be presented in this program without the approval of a health care provider, you are prescribing for yourself and assuming full responsibility for it. Now, this is your right to do so, and I assume no responsibility for your actions. Now, this information is not intended for the use of diagnosing any disease, condition, or prescribing any treatment whatsoever. It is offered for informational use only, and for use in maintaining and promoting good health in cooperation with a licensed medical practitioner. No responsibility is assumed by the distributor's author or publisher of this information should the information be used in the place of a licensed medical practitioner's services. There is no guarantee, I repeat, there is no guarantee of any kind made for the performance of effectiveness of the preparations or methods mentioned in this program. This information is to be used for educational purposes only, and has been solely based on the historic and traditional use of herbs. This information has not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, nor has it gone through studies required before a particular product can be deemed truly beneficial or potentially dangerous. Subheading, biological individuality. It should not be misconstrued to mean, imply, or indicate that the product or programs described in this program will cure anything, as no such claims are made. Only God can heal. I will quote two scriptures to prove that. In Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 39, says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. So he's the one that heals, not an herb. The herb he created, and the herb, what it does is stimulate the body to heal, but he's the one that does the healing because he created the herb in the first place. Uh, Psalm chapter 41, verse 4. 
and he may he can make the herb not work if he wants to. Psalm chapter forty one verse four. It says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. So it's God that heals, not the herb. He gave the herb the power to heal. God is the one, He's the source of healing. Now, these nutritional suggestions are not offered as a cure, rather as aid to the body in reestablishing normal functions. The human body is very complex, although each person is similar in general structure and function. Each is also uniquely different, responding differently to similar stimuli, therapies, and conditions. And that's what an herb is, basically. It stimulates the body to do what God um, created it to do anyway, which is to heal itself. What may help one person in a certain circumstance or condition may not help another. Let me underscore that. It's very important for you to understand. What may help one person in a certain circumstance or condition may not help another. This is also true with foods. A particular food that may be nourishing to a healthy person may cause an allergenic reaction in another. Each condition may also be unique. Although thousands have had help from the natural methods described that you will hear in this program, there have been and will be cases where destructive pathological changes are so severe and the body's own healing mechanism so weakened that the process of healing could be an extended process. Persevere and your hard work will be amply rewarded. So that's the disclaimer. Now, <clears throat> before I um, initiate this Bible study or begin it, I want to remind you that I have done a series of Bible studies on how to live the right way in this world. It's 19 hours of instruction, including this two-hour program today. I highly recommend that you listen to it, and also anyone that wants to know the truth of God and what he reveals in the Bible about how to live in this world, I suggest you also refer them to these videos. They are entirely free. As you know, I'm not selling literature like a lot of ministers are and and, and uh, trying to make it seem like uh, God's work is, is a business. I'm not doing that. Uh, what I'm doing is uh, providing all this information for free for you, as he commands any true minister of God to do. And this is 19 hours of instruction that will change your life if you believe what the Bible says. Um let me go over the list of Bible studies that I've done. The first one is how to have a happy marriage, what husbands should do. The second one is how to have a happy marriage, what wives should do. It's in three parts. Number three is God's way of teaching and training your children. Number four is God's way of dating. Number five is God's way of achieving true success. Number six, how to think like God. Number seven, how to have true joy. Number eight, how to control anger and cease from anger. And number nine, the one that we're doing today, how to create and maintain a healthy body the Bible way. Now, you may be wondering, well, we, how can we create a body? Well, the reason why I'm saying how to create and maintain a healthy body is because many of our bodies are defiled. Matter of fact, everyone's body is defiled. And we, as I'm going to reveal to you today, we're walking in a toxic waste of atmosphere. Many people don't realize that our environments are very much polluted. And because of that, it affects the bloodstream. And then when it affects the bloodstream, your body breaks down and ages and dies. Anyway, so let's focus on creating and maintaining a healthy body the Bible way or God's way. Now, first of all, you must understand, and this may sound weird to you, okay, based on traditional Christianity uh, since... Uh, 
Catholicism or the Catholic religion has been originated. But anyway, uh, not all meat is good for you. That may come as a shock to many Christians, but uh, particularly those Christians that are taught to the, the, one of the most diabolical lies of all time, that the, the law of God has been nailed to the cross, including the, the food laws. But again, I'm going to prove to you out of the scriptures today that not all meat is good for you. So, so let's begin in Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets because he wrote a lot of words that God inspired him to write. Ezekiel chapter 44, beginning in verse 23. It states, and they, is talking about the Levites, the priests, the Torah teachers, shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Now, the Jews incorrectly teach, well, that's not particularly talking about that the food is going to harm you. This is saying that it's set apart because we're the Jews and we should be set apart from the people. Well, that's true, but also the reason why God does not want us eating certain meats because he knows that it's not good for us, that it's toxic. So, and in verse 24, it says, And in controversy, and this is in the same context as, as uh, being able to discern what's defiled and what's not defiled as far as meat is concerned. Verse 24, And in controversy, in verse 24, shall stand in judgment, and they shall judge it according to my judgments, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my assemblies, and they shall hallow my Sabbath. So they're going to use the law of God to judge people. So that's, that's in the context of also the food laws. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 3. And this is talking about in the future and in Ezekiel. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14, verse 3 states, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. So that, that's a significant scripture, or a detestable thing. So right there we know that God is telling us that there's some things that we eat that are detestable and not good for us. Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. Verse 43. You shall not make yourselves abominable. So when we eat the foods that God tells us not to eat them, the meats, then we make ourselves abominable or defiled. So anyway, he says, You shall not make yourselves abominable, in Leviticus 11, verse 43, with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should not be defiled thereby. As I just mentioned, you defile your body. Now, let me look that word up in the original Hebrew so we can get a clear rendering of that. Leviticus uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 43. Def defiled means to be contaminated, to be polluted, to pollute your body, to pollute your body. Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20, starting in verse 23 states, And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation, or the Gentiles, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. Verse 24, 
And let me look that word up in the original. Um, it's, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 23. So this word in the original Hebrew means um, abhorred, that he, uh, he um, disgusted them vexed them or set them apart as being unclean. So that's what that means there. So, again, we, those that are God's people are not to walk like everyone else that does not want to keep his laws. That's the point of me quoting this, these scriptures. And then, in verse 24, it says, But I have said unto you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it. Now notice this, because we're going to be talking about food. Um, a land that flowed with milk. So milk is okay, even though the milk that we drink today isn't. But milk back then was more along the lines of yogurt. Uh, milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. It says, You shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean. And you shall not make your souls, and that in this context is nephesh, uh, the Hebrew word, and it's talking about your lives and your bodies, abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy unto me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have served you from other people, or severed you from other people, that you should also be mine. Okay, so... Again, he's making this distinction. And people say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is God's word, ladies and gentlemen, and is also linked with the New Testament. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians, because we'll see that God inspired Paul to tell us that we still should separate ourselves from people, which means that the, the food laws are still in, in application, because that's one of the ways that we separate ourselves from people who disobey God. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse fourteen, and it says, "Be ye not now." I want you to understand this, and you have to understand Jewish history, and you have to realize that the church was originally Jewish in the first century, and that your Lord and Savior is a Jew. Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. Now, Paul wrote this epistle to a Gentile population. The majority of them were uh, were Gentiles mixed with, of course, uh, Jews uh, fellowshipping with them. But he did, the majority of his epistles, he wrote to Gentiles as well as Jews. So anyway, Second Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked. Now, you know what an egg yoke is, right? When you yoke, if you put your finger in it, it really attaches to your finger, the yoke, right? So put that, envision that as I am quoting the scripture, be ye not unequally yoked, unequally yoked. What, is un, unequally, what does that mean? Let's, let's turn and look at the original Greek that I was written in to get a clear understanding of what this means. Second Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. So this original Greek word is het, and it means to yoke up differently, to associate discordingly. Okay? 
to so to associate in the wrong way. That's what they're saying here. So be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What's an unbeliever? That's someone who doesn't believe that that the law of God or the law of Moses was not nailed on the cross. Uh, in other words, uh, these are people that believe that the law of Moses or the law of God was nailed on the cross and that we don't have to keep the dietary laws. We don't have to uh, keep the other commandments that are listed uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it can also refer to people that typically, I mean, they're half believers, but they're not totally believers, that they believe it's just Ten Commandments to keep and all the rest are done away with. Um, and then also the majority of Christians, quote Christians and the quote Christians, uh, they believe that only nine commandments should be kept, and, and, the, and the Sabbath is done away with, and that was nailed to the cross. So, so you have your your various different types of beliefs, but it's all under the category of unbelievers because they don't believe and don't live by every word of God as God commanded us to do in Matthew chapter four, verse four. And we need to be praying that they repent of that. Anyway. So in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? What is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172, means that righteousness is keeping all the commandments of God. Unrighteousness, of course, is not keeping all the commandments of God. And what communion have light with darkness? Light, the analogy of light is, is those who keep the commandments, and darkness is those who don't believe all the laws uh, should be kept that they can, be, that, that they can keep. Verse 15, and what concord has Christ with Belial, which is a name for a demon, or what part has he that believed with an infidel? And an infidel basically is someone who's an unbeliever. Verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So right now he's, he's stating that the temple of God are believers, and an idol is someone who's not a believer. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, the amazing thing about this particular scripture is that it's quoted from the Old Testament. It's quoted from the Old Testament. Hold your place here and let's turn to Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12. And then yet people say, oh, the law's done away with. Well, you know, Paul is using Old Testament scripture and applying it to the New Testament. So how do you um, argue yourself around that or argue your way around that? Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. And this is in the context of a chapter that focuses on idolatry, which is very interesting. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12. And it says, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. So this not only applies just to the Jews, it applies to anyone that accepts Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. Remember, Jesus is a type of Israel. Uh, he's the servant of the Lord. And, and whenever you accept him, you become a part of the commonwealth of Israel, as Ephesians chapter 2 reveals. So, verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Similar phraseology of what I just read to you about the, uh, the laws of uh, clean and unclean meats. So he also wants people who are believers of Christ to do the exact same thing that the Jews did. Verse 18, And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that's interesting because that was an exact quote of what he told, um, what was it, Second Samuel 7? Let's go to that, Second Samuel 7, verse 14. 
Second Samuel seven verse fourteen. It says uh right here. Let's start in verse eight here, get the context here. Uh, now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat and from fowling the sheep. This is in Second Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from fowling the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel, and I was with thee, whithersoever, whatever thou wentest, and have cut off all thy enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great... Name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict, afflict them any more as before time. Verse 11, And as since, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house and win, or a temple. And when thy days be fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which that seed turned out to be Solomon, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chastise him with the rod of men and, and with the stripes of the children of men. So anyway, I just wanted to read that to get you to understand, and this was talking about the dynasty of David, the his uh, his uh, past um, generations, uh, his generations would would be blessed, and they would be considered sons. But it's interesting that Paul is applying that scripture to us today. And when you understand that we're going to marry Christ, as Ephesians five uh, reveals, and also uh, we're not going to marry him like a human being would marry somebody, but it's a spiritual type of marriage. And when you marry somebody, you you inherit what they have, right? And we're going to inherit kingship and rulership. Uh, let's turn to Revelation for proof of that. Revelation, the first chapter, verse 6. Or actually starting verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten or born of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, And because of that, have made us kings and priests, unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's, and that's what David was. Um, he was a priest and he was also a king. So that that's pretty interesting there, that he's also considering us king-priests because, of course, we're going to spiritually marry him in the future. And that is revealed in Ephesians chapter 5 and also Revelation chapter 19. Okay, so let's continue on. Uh, okay, so you understand the separation thing, that Christians in the New Testament must separate themselves from people who are wicked, and we also must obey the laws of God in the Old Testament that are still applicable today, and the food laws are definitely applicable to today as far as meat is concerned. Now, let's look at the most popular misunderstood scriptures in, in, in this area because this is something I really have to cover so that you understand the rest of this Bible study. Okay. Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 7. 
Mark chapter 7. Mark 7, verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, or Torah teachers, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, often eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, the tradition of the elders back then was the foundation of what we call today, or the Jews call today, the oral law, which consists of the Mishnah, the Talmud, and the Midrash. And what the oral law or the tradition of the elders is, is the elders' interpretation of the Tanakh or the Old Testament. Some of it is accurate, some of it isn't. But unfortunately, even back in the first century, many of them believed that the oral law at that time was sacred, just as sacred as the Word of God, the written Word of God. And that was the issue that Jesus or Yeshua had with the Jews back then. The issue was not with the written law. The issue was with the oral law or their interpretation of that law. And that's what he nailed to the cross. Not only the Jews' incorrect interpretation of the Bible, but anyone's incorrect interpretation of the Bible was nailed to the cross. But the written law of God never and never was nailed to the cross and never will be. So anyway, getting back to this, verse 4, And when they came from the market, except they washed, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and bread and vessels and of tables, so it was many things that that was contrary to the word of God, as you'll see here. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, or the oral law, or the Mishnah, or the Talmud, or the, or the Midrash of today, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well have Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain or meaningless? Do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines. Teaching for doctrines. The commandments of men. And that's what the oral law is of the Mishnah, the Midrash, the Talmud. The Talmud is, 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 is basically uh, an interpretation of the Mishnah. <laughs> and the Midrash is uh, interpretation of the Tanakh. So anyway, so in verse 8 it says, For laying aside the commandment of God, or just forgetting the law of God, just ignoring the law of God, you hold the tradition of men. And he gives an example, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. Verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. It's not just the Jews that do this. Christians do it. Christians have their tradition. They have their tradition of Sunday church. That's just a tradition. That's that's a faulty interpretation of God's word. There's nowhere in the Bible where God says the Sabbath day is on Sunday, the first day of the week. No one, it's totally impossible for you to find that out of the King James Version. Now, there may be some versions in the future where they'll just fraudulently put that in there. But there's no scripture in the Bible that says Sunday is the Sabbath day, and you should stop working on Sunday. There's no scripture in the Bible that that reveals that. So anyway, that's an example of a tradition of Christians, 
a faulty tradition. Verse 10, and he gives you an example of how they did away with God's law to keep their own tradition or their own interpretation of what they feel is right. Verse 10, for Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die to death. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corbin, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more, allow him to do more off his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such things do you. In verse 14, when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. So he's pleading with them to understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering unto him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, these are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. See, when people read these scriptures, particularly these Christian ministers, they eisegesis this and say, hey, this is saying that, that all foods are clean. No, it's not. If you just continue to look at this and analyze it, you'll see it's not. Verse 17, And when he was entered into the house of the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever thing from without entered into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entered not into his heart, but into his belly, and goes out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man... That defileth the man. Verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And then I'm going to quote another scripture to help you understand what he's talking about here. The same account, but as you find with the Gospels and many other places in the Bible, one scripture better interprets another scripture helps you to understand the scripture better. So in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, and Matthew chapter 15, and starting in verse 20, it says, These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defile not a man. So he was saying that to eat, if you eat, a meal with dirt on you, it's not going to defile you. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to destroy your mind. It's not going to destroy your life. That's what he's saying. But, however, I've already proved to you that if you eat the wrong meats, it can defile your body. I've already quoted those scriptures to you. So this is scriptural proof in Matthew 15, verse 20, that he did not say that you can eat any type of meat. And he did not say that there were certain meats that did not defile you. What he did say is that eating with dirty hands does not defile the body. That's what he's saying. And it doesn't defile the body like it would defile your body as far as the things he described. Your evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. That's what defiles the body. Not unwashed hands, but also what can defile the body is eating unclean meats, as I just proved to you through the scriptures I quoted to you. Deuteronomy 14, verse 3, Leviticus 11, verse 43, Leviticus 20, verse 23 to 26, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18. Okay, so now let's turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. 
And this is another passage of Scripture that is really, really misunderstood that I must go over. So let's start in verse 1. This is about uh, Cornelius, one of the greatest, uh, appears one of the greatest Gentiles that ever was a believer. Um, Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. There was a certain man in the Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms, or zedakah, to the people and pray to God always. So he, what this uh, individual did to prove that he feared God, he gave, he was a giver. And he gave, he gave much alms. That's what it states here. He gave many charitable gifts to the people and prayed to God always. He didn't stop praying. He, he continued to talk to God. And so because he was such a great example to mankind, this is what happened, verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's about 3 o'clock, I think, in the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, so this, he had an actual angel of God come to him. This is how holy this guy was. He, he, he was that righteous for God to, have, to send an angel to him. And you notice what he did. He, gave, he must have spent a lot of his time just giving to people. And when you do that, yeah, I guess an angel will be coming to your door eventually <laughs> if you spent a lot of your time giving to people and praying. That's the goal that I have. I, I, I want to be able to, to to be able to just give. Give, uh, and what this, what this guy did, he gave things to help people, food, clothes, things that they needed. And see, I'm I'm not in a position to do that. The only thing I can do is give you spiritual knowledge and feed you that way. And hopefully one day I, I can get myself together financially where I can do what Cornelius has done here. So anyway, verse 4, And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to them, Thy prayers and thy alms, of Zadaka, or charity, are come up for a memorial before God. God is going to remember when you pray to him, and he's definitely going to remember when you give to other people. He loves those two things. And that is, is, is for a memorial before him. Let's just look up that original word in, in Greek and get a full and better understanding of that. Acts chapter 10. So, this word memorial in original Greek means sonon, and it means a reminder, memorandum, a record. So he keeps record of our deeds, whether they're good or evil, especially good deeds. He, he takes pleasure in, in keeping record of that. And he kept a record of it. And he was so pleased with Cornelius' record that he sent an angel to let him know that he was pleased. Verse 5, he says, And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what you ought to do. Verse 7, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So he did exactly what the angel told him to do. 
Verse 9, on, to, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And so he had a vision here. And saw heaven open, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Now notice, notice what Peter's saying here. If the death of Christ did away with the food laws, then why is Peter saying this? says, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So he still, obviously, was keeping the uh, the laws of um, unclean and clean meat by him making that statement. Verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, saying, What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. Verse 16, this was done thrice, or three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, verse 17, you can understand why Peter was doubting what was going on, because he was keeping, the, the again, the, uh, the meat laws. That's revealed in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Verse 17, now, while Peter doubted in himself that what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, verse 18. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. So actually, Christ was speaking to Paul through the Holy Spirit here. Verse 20, Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So he's telling them, stop doubting. And, you know, we all have a problem with that sometimes. We start to doubt God and think he doesn't know what he's talking about. And God hates when we start to doubt him. When you start to doubt God, that's a showing that you have a lack of faith. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause whereof you are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that fear of God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. And, of course, so much a good report that God had to send an angel to him to say, Hey, I appreciate what you're doing, Cornelius. And I remember what you're doing. But anyway, we need to follow that example. Uh, we really need to. <laughs> anyway, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee unto his house and to hear words of thee. Verse 22, Then called he them and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24, And the morrow after they entered a, a Caesarea, Caesarea, rather. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter immediately corrected him here. He says, But Peter took him up and saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Verse 27, and as, he, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Verse 28, And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. However, God was revealing to Peter that he never meant for there to be a separation between Jews and Gentiles. 
After all, Jews and Gentiles are both human beings. They all come from one blood. We all have one source of parents, overall parents. We all have the same parents, and that's Adam and Eve. So anyway, now this was the correct interpretation of the vision. It's not what people have eisegesis or put into their own thoughts. Uh, what it's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is not what many ministers of eisegesis today or put their own thoughts into the scriptures to say that this vision proves that we can eat any kind of meat. That's not what it's talking about. If you just take the scriptures, what it's saying here in verse 28. So let me read verse 28. Here's the interpretation of the vision. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful, that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, let's listen to the Bible interpretation. Let's, let's listen to it again. Verse 28. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful, that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. It's talking about human beings, not meat. Verse 21. Or verse 29, rather. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying or objection, as soon as I was sent for. I asked, therefore, for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. Now he was fasting, too. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thy alms or sadaka or charity are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Verse 32. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Verse 33. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now this is a very important verse, and I know this verse isn't preached that much, but this if people just believed this one verse, they would realize the law is not done away with. Let's analyze this verse. It says, but in every nation, he that fears him, and how do you fear God? By hating evil, Proverbs 8, verse 13. And work of righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is keeping the commandments. And you have to work it. You've got to do something. You just can't just say, Hey, I believe in Jesus and, and everything's okay. No, you've got to prove. You've got to work righteousness. And he states here, But in every nation he that fears him and work of righteousness is accepted with him. If you don't work righteousness, if you don't work on keeping the commandments, you're not going to be accepted of him, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. In verse 36, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say, you, you know, which was published throughout all Judea, or which is the West Bank today, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So when you are sick, in some cases it can be that you are oppressed of the devil. That's what it's saying here. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, when they slew and hanged him on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To, give, to him give all the prophets witnesses that through his name, whosoever, not just the Jews, whosoever believe in him shall receive remission of sins. So the moral of that story, ladies and gentlemen, is that all people are required and are encouraged to keep the law of God, the Torah, not just the Jews. That was the lesson of that vision. That vision had nothing to do with implying that the law of clean and unclean meats is done away with. Now, the question to you is, are you going to believe what the Bible says, or are you going to believe what your minister has preached to you, which is not true? Well, that's something that you have to make up your own mind with. Now, there's another scripture that people are horrifyingly confused with in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 20, it states, For meat destroys not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So when people read this scripture, they say, Oh, that means all meat is clean. Well, of course that cannot mean that. It can't mean that uh, in this context. You have to to use some wisdom and remember that there's a scripture that warns us, and I'm sure this was in the original, uh, if it was written in Aramaic and Hebrew, like uh, quite a few people, well, significant people think that the original writings uh, were written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, I'm sure that it says the same thing here in Second Peter. Let's turn to Second Peter here. Second Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom, given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, in other words, they don't understand the background of, of the Bible, the significant background of the Jews, how they live, there's certain idioms or slang words that they use, etc. If you don't understand that, then... Uh, what God states here through Paul, or Peter rather, is that uh, by being unlearned and unstable, you will rest also the other scriptures until your own destruction. Okay, so you don't want to do that. So let, let's go and understand the scripture here in Romans 14, verse 20. For meat destroy not the work of God, all things indeed, all things indeed are pure. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Now, let's use our common sense now. We know in this world, that all things aren't pure. So he must be talking about something, all right, uh, that would get him to say that, all right? So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
I mean, is is uh, your fecal matter pure? Okay, uh, I, I'm just saying, of course, all things aren't pure. So he has to be talking about something else, and this is what he was talking about. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, in other words, very difficult to teach, very difficult to show them that they're wrong, and last but not least, very difficult for them to change. Verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, and most people just stop there, but you need to read the rest of it, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. What's the truth? God's law. God's law reveals what is clean and unclean meats or food. And that word meats is translated food. And as far as meats are concerned, God tells us what's food. What is food? Food is fit for consumption. There's certain meats that's not food. All right? So in verse 4 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused. Now, here's the, the missing link here of Romans 14 verse 20. If it be received with thanksgiving, for if it's received with thanksgiving, and that's colon, continue to thought, for it is sanctified or set apart by the word of God and prayer. So that's what Paul meant, that everything is pure if it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If it be received with thanksgiving. If it's received with thanksgiving, then it is set apart by the word of God and prayer. So that's what that scripture is talking about. That's why you have to sometimes, well, in many cases, uh, quite a few cases, interpret one scripture, um, learn how to understand one scripture by using another scripture to, to explain it, as I just did. Okay, so I hope I've proven to you in a very clear way that not all meat is good for you. All right, and I think I went over last program which meats, uh, we should eat basically uh, pig is a no-no uh, you shouldn't be eating the swine let's, let's go let's go over this again here how much time do I have left here uh, one hour and nine minutes plenty of time okay Leviticus chapter 11 all right uh, let's let's go over this here uh, Leviticus chapter 11 starting verse 1 Adonai said to Moshe and Aaron Tell the people of Israel, these are the living creatures which you may eat among all the land animals. And any that has a separate hoof which is completely divided and chews the cud, these animals you may eat. But you are not to eat those that only chew the cud or only have a separate hoof. For example, the camel, the coney, and the hare are unclean for you because they chew the cud but don't have a separate hoof. While the pig is unclean for you because although it has a separate and completely divided hoof, it doesn't chew the cud. You are not to eat meat from these or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. In other words, touch their dead bodies. Verse 9, of all the things that live in the water, you may eat these. Anything in the water that has fins and scales. So any fish that has fins and scales, you eat. Whether it's in seas or in rivers, these you may eat. Verse 10, but everything in the seas and rivers without both fins and scales, like catfish and shrimp, of all the small water creatures and all the living creatures in the water, it is a detestable thing for you. 
Yes, these would be detestable for you. You are not to eat their meat, and you are to detest their carcasses. Verse 12, what, whatever lacks fins and scales in the water is a detestable thing for you. Verse 13, this is in the complete Jewish Bible version. The following creatures of the air are to be detestable for you. They are not to be eaten. They are a detestable thing. The eagle, the vulture, the osprey, the kite, the various kinds of buzzards, the various kinds of ravens, the otters, the screech owl, the seagull, the various kinds of hawks, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the horn owl, the pelican, the barn owl, I guess all owls, the stork, the various kinds of herons, the hope and the bat. I don't know why anyone would want to eat a bat. Anyway, verse 20, all winged swarming creatures that go on all fours are a detestable thing for you, except that of all winged swarming creatures that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs about their feet, enabling them to jump off the ground. That's a, I think it's a grasshopper. Specifically of these, you may eat the various kinds of locusts, grasshoppers, cat gids, and crickets. Verse 23, but other than that, all winged swarming creatures having four feet are a detestable thing for you. Verse 24, the fowl will make you unclean. Um, Okay, well, I went through all that. All right, so that that's all the, the meats that we can eat there. All right, it's talking about, um, let me get to the other ones here. All right, verse 27. Whatever goes on his paws among all animals that go on all fours is unclean to you. Whoever touches his carcass will be unclean to evening. That's in verse 27. Whoever picks up his carcass will wash his clothes. Verse 29, the following are unclean for you among the small creatures that swarm in the ground, the weasel, the mouse, the various kinds of lizards, the gecko, the land crocodile, the, the skink, the sand lizard, and the chamberlain. These are unclean, crawling creatures. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. All right, so anyway, I'm just going over all these laws of, uh, of meats and, and what's clean and what's not clean, and, and God has perfectly revealed that in the Bible, and we need to obey. Okay, and uh, let's get, I, I, I briefly covered this uh, in the other Bible study, but I need to go over it again here quickly, that in the beginning, Adam was created in a garden full of fresh air. And that's interesting, because I'm going to go through the importance of having indoor plants. Uh, God created man to be around plants and vegetation. And what have we done today? We have effectively separated ourselves from that. Of course, I'm living in a townhouse right now, and I have a tree outside. But I need to, to start having indoor plants again like I used to and be praying that I can make enough money to be able to afford some indoor plants because what indoor plants do is purify the toxic fumes that I'm going to reveal to you that we all breathe and get rid of that. And then it... it, it uh, pumps oxygen into the air. So plants are designed to eat up the carbon dioxide that we breathe out, and the plants consume that carbon dioxide that we breathe out, and then they give us oxygen. So we both depend on each other for survival. Without human beings or animals on the earth, plants would die. And without plants on the earth, we would die. So we're interconnected. So in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, 
which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree and in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat or food so originally mankind and animals were vegetarians verse 30 and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the earth and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. So I just wanted to help you to understand that God originally intended us to be vegetarians, eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and anything from the ground. But something changed. Genesis chapter 6. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And he stated, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark. We know the reason why he destroyed the earth at this time, because it was wicked, very wicked, and it was only eight people that obeyed God. But anyway, that's how bad it got. Genesis chapter 6, and, you know, Christ in Luke chapter 17 says, As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So it's going to be... I'm hoping that there's more than eight people that are righteous on the earth, but indications are that the earth, again, is going to get as wicked as Noah's day, and it's not going to be that many people on the earth that obey God, unfortunately. Anyway, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 19, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee, and they shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep thee alive, and thou, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and in this case is talking about uh, fruits and vegetables and, and anything from the ground, grains, that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. In verse, I mean, chapter uh, 7 of Genesis. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast, so even 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 <laughs> during the days of Noah, there is a distinction between clean and unclean animals. Verse 2, of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So obviously he must have revealed to Noah which beasts were clean and which beasts weren't clean. So... That means that the law of clean and unclean meats must have been revealed to him at that time. And the reason why, as we're going to see in a minute, uh, God allowed Noah and his descendants to start eating meat. So anyway, let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And God blessed Noah, this is when he came out of the ark, and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and the fear of you, and the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all the move upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, and until your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Now, when God says this, obviously he means that everything, moving thing that liveth shall be me for you, that is, uh, that is, uh, Let's turn to that scripture again. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four says 
in verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified to set apart by the word of God in prayer. So that has to be applied here. Because why would he talk about some animals being clean and unclean? So obviously this is what is talked about here. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, Verse 3, and every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as a green herb I have given unto you all things. Uh, simply meaning, based on the biblical interpretation, that everything that is uh, with thanksgiving, that is set apart by the word of God in prayer. Verse 4, but flesh with the life there, which is in the blood, you shall not eat. So we're not supposed to be eating any blood uh, from meat. Uh, when you cook meat, all you should try to cook all the redness that you can from it because uh, you should not eat any of the blood, as he states here. Okay, and God also tells us the following, that we must take care of our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, he states here, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God. And I've already quoted you scriptures that God states that you defile your body by eating the wrong types of meat. And so God states here in verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which you are, or set apart. And I've already quoted many scriptures already to prove that the, 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 the meat laws were not nailed to the cross. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19. It says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your mind, which are God. So we not should only glorify God in our minds, but we also must glorify him uh, in our body. And we must take care of our bodies and watch what we eat. So that leads to a book that I highly recommend you get that was written by a doctor. The name of the doctor is Don Colbert, M.D., and the name of this book is What Would Jesus Eat? The Ultimate Program for Eating Well, Feeling Great, and Living Longer. Now, there is a scripture that I think most people have, either if you've read it, you've forgotten it, they don't care about it, but First uh, John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, if we say we believe him, then this is what we need to do. If we really truly believe Yeshua, or Jesus, as the Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he that says he abides in him, or believes in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. And as I'm going to show you, Jesus kept all the dietary laws of God that are listed in, in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. He did that. He kept his Father's commandments. Let's look at uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 10. He states plainly, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my commandments, my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So, you know, his commandments and his Father's commandments are the same. Because he says, I and my Father are one. And in total agreement. And so we ought to walk even as he walked. And it states here, 
just to add on to the context of this in First John chapter 2, verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, you don't know him. You think you do, but you don't. Verse 4, he that says, I know him and keep us not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I'm not calling you a liar. God is. If you, if you say you know him and don't keep his commandments, don't keep the Sabbath, don't keep the holy days as he commands, don't keep the other uh, days, uh, the other things that he tells us to, to do, uh, then you don't know him. And he calls you a liar. Verse 5, but whosoever keep of his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that says... He abideth in him, Yeshua, in himself also to walk, even as he walked. So he is the example. He's the way. John 14. Let's turn to John 14, verse 6. And many people just miss this, and that's the reason why they struggle with understanding the word of God. Uh, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's the way. He's the truth, and he's the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So he's the, he's the ultimate example that we all should follow. Okay, so I just wanted to make that point. Now let's turn to page 12 of this wonderful book. There's only one error in this book, entire book, basically. Uh, I'm talking about major error, and that's when he talks about and says it is okay to consume soy. But he recently corrected himself uh, in a recent booklet that I got from my wife and he stated that soy is not good for you. Uh, Non-fermented soy is not good for you. But fermented soy is, and I'm going to tell you what the difference of that is. But he didn't make that distinction in this book, so that's that's the major error. Or should I say minor error that he has in the book. Other words, it's, uh, other than that, rather, this book is an excellent book. Page 12. And this is under the subheading, Clean and Unclean Animals. It says, the uh, Israelites were allowed to eat animals that had cloven or divided hoofs, and that chewed their cuds. We read in the opening verses of Leviticus, and I already read that to you, um, page 13, the two main characteristics identified here are that a clean animal has cloven hoofs and chews its cud. A cloven hoof is a divided or split hoof. Animals that chew their cud are known as ruminants. A ruminant's stomach consists of four chambers. Food enters the rumen where digestion begins. It then passes to the reticulum, for more digestion and expulsion upward, the food returns to the chamber called the omasum, and finally to the abomasum, where the cud passes into the duodenum and intestines. Now, he's a doctor, so bear with me. <laughs> These four chambers of the stomach are analogous uh, to a washing machine that has four cycles of washing and rinsing. By having these four chambers, ruminants are able to eliminate bacteria, toxins, parasites, and other vermin that might otherwise end up as part of the animal's flesh. Now, see, this is the scientific uh, complement to reason why God is uh, telling you that certain animals are not clean to eat. Now, we didn't know this until recently uh, when we were able to examine animals and tell the difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal. Now, page 13, animals that have cloven hoofs but do not chew the cud were forbidden. These included camels, conies, rock badgers, rabbits, hares, and swine, pigs, or hogs. Horses were not common to the Israelites in biblical times, and that is probably the main reason they were not mentioned by name. Horses are also unclean because they do not chew the cud, although they have split hoofs. A number of studies have shown that horse meat often contains parasites, viruses, and bacteria. Disease is commonly associated with the consumption of horse meat in lands where it is consumed. 
According to this Bible definition, clean animals include cattle, sheep, and goats. Okay? And additional laws related to animals are mentioned. It says animals that are called creeping things are forbidden for consumption. And I read those to you. And he's going over, he's going over the rest of everything that I, um, I told you that we shouldn't consume the blood. And uh, I didn't get to the animal fat, though. And page 15, all animal fat was to be burned, not consumed. By animal fat, I am referring to the fat that a person can cut away from a piece of meat, not to the fat that has been naturally marbled into the meat itself. This tends to be the fat that lies immediately under the skin of an animal. And in the case of poultry or chicken, it includes the skin itself. So we really shouldn't eat um, the skin also of chicken. We should tear it off. It's considered fat. Leviticus 3, verse 16 tells us all the fat is the Lord's. What can we conclude from these basic food laws about the way Jesus ate? First, we can conclude that Jesus ate a great many fruits and vegetables. In fact, his diet was like, likely rich in whole grains and whole vegetables and fruits. Second, we can conclude that Jesus ate only clean meat, poultry, and fish. We can also conclude from a rational look at the history of the time that he likely ate these clean meats and the proportion in which they existed at the time. Fish was plentiful, and Jesus likely ate fish as his primary meat source. Poultry was also plentiful, and that would likely have been the second most plentiful meat in Jesus' diet. Meat in the form of beef, lamb, and goat meat was least plentiful, and therefore would have been the least likely meat for Jesus to have eaten. Third, we can conclude that Jesus ate only animals that had been slaughtered according to biblical methods, that he did not eat young animals boiled in their mother's milk, he did not eat animal blood, and he did not eat animal fat. And to shed light on what he's talking about as far as being properly slaughtered, the Jews properly slaughter animals. They lovingly take the animal and slash their neck, and the blood just drips out, and they die. The way most animals are killed today, they throw them into some slaughterhouse, basically, and, and they're just totally slaughtered, and they're screaming and hollering and, and so forth in agony. And that's why we have a difference of dark meat and white meat. The dark meat is the animal's knee-jerk reaction or shock of being brutally murdered, basically. And whenever you're in shock, your blood flows to your body all over the place. And when you eat dark meat, that blood is accumulated in that particular area. So the Jews, they know how to um, slaughter animals the way God intended so I have to make that distinction. And you can, you actually can just do a YouTube search on slaughtered animals, how animals are, are slaughtered for, for grocery store meat, and you, you'll be appalled at the things that you see. It's just horrifying. It's really horrible. It's just really bad. So anyway. So, um... Third, we can conclude that Jesus ate only animals that had been slaughtered according to biblical methods, that he did not eat young animals boiled in their mother's milk, he did not eat animal blood, and he did not eat animal fat. So that, that tells you what our Lord and Savior did and how he ate. And many people don't realize that, but it's the truth. Said so These are not difficult dietary principles to keep. They are, however, laws that most of us don't keep. And he says, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter and attempt to answer our two important questions. The first question is, why do I eat what I eat? Each of us must take a new look at why we choose to eat what we eat. Rather than continue our mindless, unconscious habits, we need to be intentional 
and rational about what we choose to put into our bodies. After all, I did show you that God will destroy us if we destroy our bodies and defile our bodies. We need to take a cold, hard look at the bad habits into which we have fallen and choose to make a change when we find ourselves in error. Yes, and I underscore that. And we must understand that God means what he says when he says the devil has tricked the whole world. And in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 19 to uh, 21, he reveals that we have inherited lies from our fathers, whatever our fathers get it from, uh, their fathers and their fathers. And it goes all the way back to um, after Adam ascended and, and Eve. I'm sure they, they followed um, the laws at that time, the dietary laws. Uh, they, they weren't eating meat at the time, though. And then, of course, after the flood and then with Noah and then people started breaking the laws and forgetting about things, and that's how... We today, many of us, are ignorant of how to eat properly. And number two, question number two, what Jesus, would Jesus eat this? That's the second question. Would Jesus eat this? We need to ask this question often. That's what I do. And I'm like, hey, would my Lord and Savior eat this? If he's not going to eat it, I'm not going to eat it. You shouldn't, not, you shouldn't like food because it tastes good. You have to, you have to understand, well, is, is the food going to defile my body or strengthen my body? Those are the questions you need to ask. Just because something tastes good doesn't mean it is good for you. Jesus certainly did not eat processed, high-sugar, high-fat, high-salt, low-fiber foods. He did eat many whole fruits and vegetables, whole grain bread, fish, a little kosher meat, in other words, the meat that is described as clean in Leviticus chapter 11. Kosher means proper. Uh, The kosher meat, revealed in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. And he ate some dairy products. In particular, he ate yogurt. And it says, if you ask only these two questions about what you eat, but you ask and answer them honestly and rationally, you will be well on your way to following Jesus' example in your eating habits. And I totally agree. So let's take a little closer look at how our Lord and Savior ate. He gave some examples for us to follow. And let's follow those examples instead of thinking we know more than him about how to live. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, states here, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Okay, so bread is a part of his diet. Bread. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner, he also took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, a new agreement in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink, remember of me, in remembrance of me. All right, so that meal was a type of Passover meal. It consisted of lamb, bread, whole grain bread, as I'm going to prove to you, wine, and bitter herbs. So that was Jesus' diet, basically. He ate meat, he ate bread, and he drank wine, and he also he had herbs, so he, he, he um, made use of vegetables. In John chapter 21, John chapter 21, starting in verse 9. Now, this is when he was resurrected. As soon as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals, and 
There was fish, so add fish to the menu of God, fish and bread. And then in verse uh, 10, Jesus said unto them, Bring ye of the fish which you have caught. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three, and for all there was so many, yet were not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of them, none of the disciples dared ask him who you are because they knew it was him and they knew it was uh, Yeshua. All right, so again, as you can see here, uh, he ate bread and fish and wine and vegetables. So that's so far, that's on God's menu. Now, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. And if I didn't say lamb, let me include lamb in there. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn. So add corn to the menu. Okay? So we have lamb, we have bread, we have wine, we have bitter herbs, which is vegetables, and also corn. Okay? So he likes corn as well. All right, so if we really want to follow his example, we have to follow his example. Okay, uh, Genesis chapter 30. Uh, let's get the Bible definition of uh, wheat and barley, or let's prove out of the Bible that wheat and barley is talked about. In Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 14. says, And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them into his mother, Leah. So uh, wheat obviously was a staple in an Israelite's diet. Barley also is. And it was turned to Ruth chapter 1. I think Ruth, uh, that's talking about wheat, but anyway, let me, I'll just turn to it anyway. Okay, Ruth, where are you? Okay. Okay. Okay, I found Ruth here. Chapter 1, verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned in Ruth the Moabite. Bitus, her daughter-in-law, and with her, uh, okay, this is talking about the barley harvest, which returned out of the country of the Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So the barley harvest is, was, is important as well. And then barley is talked about again in Second Kings. Second Kings. How much time we got left here? Uh, we have 40 minutes. Second uh, Kings 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. It states, And there came a man from Baal-Shalazah, and bought the man of God bread of the firstfruits, twenty loaves of barley, and four ears of corn, four ears of corn, or grain, and the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. Okay, so we're talking about ears of, of grain or corn, 
and also barley, so that is on God's menu again, ladies and gentlemen. So, and then verse 4, so he set it before them, and they did eat and, and left there according to the word of the Lord. Now, it's interesting that there is a, there's a recipe for bread in the Bible. Many people don't know this, but it's in Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel, you know, God cares so much about bread that he gave us a, a recipe for it. And really, bread should be on the top of the list as far as the foods that we eat. But the bread today, unfortunately, in the grocery stores is, is, is Play-Doh. And what I mean by that, the bread that we eat in the grocery stores uh, typically uh, have chemicals in them. Uh, a lot of the, um, the wheat is taken out of it is bleached. Bleached wheat means that the wheat is taken out of it, basically, is colored uh, or sucked out of the... Uh, the bread so that uh, it can be cheaper to process and so forth. So uh, when you're talking about bread, and then also uh, non-fermented soy is put in bread, and that is really bad for you. And I'm going to go over that here in a minute. But Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 9 says, Take thou also unto thee wheat. So here's an ingredient for bread here. Wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and fitches or spelt. And put them in one vessel, and make thee bread thereof, according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon thy side. Three hundred and ninety days thou shalt eat thereof. So what's the recipe for bread here? It's wheat, and barley, and beans, and lentils, and millet, and, and uh, fitches, or, or spelt. Now, there's one company that I've researched that uh, actually uses all these ingredients. I'm still trying to check and see whether or not the soy that they have in this bread uh, is uh, good for you, fermented soy. So I have to ask them, is it fermented or non-fermented? If it's fermented soy, then it would be good to eat. But they also have another uh, brand of bread. It's called uh, The name of the company is called Food for Life, and it's called Seven Sprouted Grain Flourless Bread. So Seven Sprouted Grain Flourless Bread, and it's based on Ezekiel 4, verse 9. And let me go to the uh, website here. I have it right here. And here's the ingredients of it. It's uh, in the states here, uh, seven sprouted grains, flourless or flourless bread. It says, our first sprouted and flourless whole grain bread and the first all-natural sprouted whole grain bread to be distributed nationwide. This bread is slightly lighter than our Ezekiel 4.9 breads and has an excellent mix of seven key whole grains. So it's still based upon Ezekiel 4 verse 9 bread. It's, uh, the ingredients is organic sprouted whole wheat, filtered watered organic maltered barley, organic sprouted whole rye, organic sprouted whole barley, organic sprouted whole oats, organic sprouted whole millet, organic sprouted whole kernel corn, organic sprouted whole brown rice, fresh yeast, sea salt. So I would say that this is the healthiest bread on the market right now, the seven sprouted grains. Please get it and eat plenty of it, and you will thank God uh, for it, because these are the ingredients that he stated that Ezekiel should make to prepare bread. So if God is going to give you an ingredient, then I would suggest highly that you <laughs> go by that ingredient for bread. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to reveal that to you. Now, getting back to soy. Uh, amazingly, um, Dr. Mercola, I think that's his name, 
he had a video that a five minute video that explained the damage of soy and what it can do for you and YouTube just removed the video. So I'm not surprised that the elite, of course, doesn't want people to know the truth about soy and the damage that it can cause. Uh, let me go to this website here. They don't want to alarm the public. So, of course, uh, Yahoo, which, I mean, not Yahoo, but YouTube, which the elite has control over, uh, they totally lifted that video off so that you can't find the truth out about it. But, hey. Nobody knows about me. I'm a nobody, so <laughs> take advantage of uh, a nobody speaking, basically, and, and get the truth. Um, when you go to his website, well, what you can do is do a search, Why Soy Can Damage Your Health. Do that on Google. You will go to the Mercola.com website, the Mercola.com website, or Mercola, M-E-R-C-O-L-A. It's like Coca-Cola and then Mercola, Mercola.com. And there's a lot of health information. I don't agree with almost. I don't agree with everything he states because if it doesn't line up with the Bible, I don't. I don't agree with anyone about what they're saying if it doesn't line up with the Bible. But many of the things that he does say does, and, and in particular about soy. And I don't know if soy is even mentioned in the Bible at all. But anyway, I mean, if you scroll down, unfortunately you can't play the video anymore unless it was put back up YouTube. I know when I tried to play it, it wasn't there. So. But this article states, Newest Research on Why You Should Avoid Soy by Sally Fallon and Mary G. Enig, Ph.D. What was once a minor crop listed in the 1913 U.S. Department of Agriculture handbook, not as food, but as an industrial product, now covers 72 million acres of American farmland. So you can go ahead and read the rest of that article, but it does prove that soy is not fit for consumption, the non-fermented soy. Now, it also says that soy may cause cancer and brain damage. And it's not an article. And it also said the trouble with tofu, soy in the brain. Many people think tofu is healthy, but it's not. And, and this guy proves it. And he has all kinds of other uh, articles in here about soy. And there's a book called The Whole Soy Story. It's a big scam on the American public. And unfortunately, many people are consuming non ferment soy and they're raising their risk for cancer. Uh, they're, they're tearing up their thyroid, which controls uh, uh, how much uh, weight that you can maintain and lose or gain. Uh, it also wrecks havoc with your brain. It can cause brain damage. And soy is put in most bread products at the grocery store and, and, and also is in microwavable foods that are designed for people to put in and fix real quick. And, 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 it's just, uh, and, and of course, the microwave is not good for you either. It's, it's, emits dangerous radiation. But anyway, in addition, a few fast food restaurants also put soy in their meats. So you should um, do, whenever you're eating any type of fast food, please go to their website and see what's in the foods. <laughs> I mean, that's common sense, but you should do that. So I mentioned there's a difference between the type of soy that you should eat. And, and the type of soy you should stay away from. Well, stay away from non-fermented soy. Non-fermented soy is the final one. Fresh green soybeans, whole dry soybeans. Um, when, I, when I say this, uh, please understand that soy is put into these specific products on a, on a global scale. All right, so the first thing that you'll see that's common and has soy is fresh green soybeans. And then whole dry soybeans and then nuts. 
and then sprouts. And these are sprouts that have soy in it. Flour, soy milk, and tofu. Now, these are the products that you should eat soy from. It's called fermented soy. So products using fermented soy is the following. Natu, N-A-T-T-O, miso, M-I-S-O, or miso, tempeh, which is T-E-M-P-E-H, and soy sauces, uh, particularly the soy sauces that the Chinese prepare. And then fermented tofu and soy milk. So it has to be fermented, not non-fermented. So that's what you need to ask and research over the Internet, fermented tofu and fermented soy milk. You can drink fermented soy milk. Now, many studies have shown traditionally have shown traditionally fermented soy, which is the form that is very popular in many Asian cultures, aids in preventing and reducing a variety of diseases, including certain forms of heart disease and cancers. Okay? So the fermented soy is good for you. The non-fermented is not good for you. And for more information about this, type in in Google why, why soy can damage your health and then you should be able to get all the information you need on consuming the right type of soy, not the not the, the wrong type of soy that's consumed at these grocery stores that's put in a lot of, um, what I mean by consuming the grocery stores, people buy the product and they consume it. But many of the wrong types of soy is put into uh, many different uh, grocery store products, in particular bread products. So you need to, to do that research. Now, the suggested bread that you should get is whole wheat organic bread that does not have any soy in it, and then also the food for life bread, the seven sprouted grain flourless bread. Now, where do you get this type of bread? Well, you can get it at a bakery. Check and see if they bake with soy, uh, with uh, non-fermented soy. Also, um, whole food stores. There are organic food stores. Also, Trader Joe's. Kroger's, I think, uh, may have, yeah, they do have some bread that does not have soy in it as well. But you need to get bread that is 100% whole wheat, preferably organic, and does not have soy in it, uh, non-fermented soy. All right, so the importance of bread again, I just want to, because bread is, is, is so important. You can live on bread, basically, because it has all the nutrients that you need in it. So it's very important to understand the significance of bread. And, and Christ really did... Um, talk about it in a in a uh, significant way as well when he talked. So it, it obviously must be a very important food to eat. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 11. He states, give us this day our daily bread. Remember that scripture? You know, and, and I, I've read that so many times. And, and I'm like, man, yeah, he did emphasize, give us our daily bread. Um, so obviously that's something that he must have ate every day for him to say that. So I, I just realized that. And then on page 19 of this wonderful book of what would Jesus eat, he states, says, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he appeared to be making a direct reference to the provision of manna. The breads of Jesus' time were coarse, whole-grain breads, which were darker and heavier than the breads we have today. Since they were made with whole grain, including the bran and wheat germ, they had a much higher concentration of naturally occurring polyunsaturated oils, or in other words, oils that don't make you fat. 
Just as manna would become wormy and smelly overnight, so the whole grain bread in Jesus' day with its high natural oil content was likely to become rancid and moldy if it was not consumed daily. Eating a freshly baked loaf of whole grain bread a day was and is a healthy way to live. All right, so that's very important to understand there. And on page 18 of this book, it says, Manna was an unknown food to the Israelites. In fact, manna became the name of the substance because when the Israelites first saw it, they said, What is it? The word for what is it in Hebrew is manna. Manna appeared to them to be like small round coriander seeds as fine as frost. It was the color of bedillium, a pearlized, a pearlized white color. The people could cook it like grain, grind it on millstones or beat it in a mortar, and then cook it in pans or make cakes from it. It had the taste of pastry prepared with oil or wafers made with honey. When dew fell on a camp in the night, the manna appeared and the ground was covered with it each morning. It was, it was provided in sufficient quantity so that each person could gather up an omer of it, which was 2.2 liters or about three-quarters minus a pint. Any manna left on the ground melted in the heat of the desert sun. So that's, that's really interesting about the manna there. Then, of course, in John chapter 6, starting in 48 to 51, I have to speed it up here. minutes left. John 6, so John chapter 6, starting in verse uh, 48, it states, uh, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread which I give thee is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, what you need to realize is that they were maintained through this bread for 40 years. So that's the importance that God puts on bread. And Psalm 104. I didn't realize that until doing this Bible study that God really puts an emphasis on bread, <laughs> both spiritual and physical. Uh, Psalm 104, starting in verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man. So that's vegetables and also herbs, including herbs that are found in the uh, supplemental uh, nutrients that you consume. That's all vegetables, as I'm going to talk about here. So, and that, and that word herb means vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. And wine that makes glad the heart of man. So wine makes your, your, your mind happy when you do it in moderation. Oil to make his face shine, that's referring to olive oil. And bread which strengthens man's heart. So, again, God's menu really consists of wine, olive oil, bread, meat, lamb. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting indeed how he reveals what he wants us to eat in the Bible. First uh, Samuel chapter 25. First Samuel chapter 25. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 18. Now remember that David was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 25, verse 18, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep, which is lamb, 
ready dressed, and five measures of parched corn, so that's grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. So this this was a staple of the diet that the Israelites ate, and of course what David ate. First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty three, as far as uh, wine is concerned. Not only does wine make your your mind happy, but also it does this. It also has medical qualities to it. In First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty three, it states here. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. Okay? So that's what wine is also good for. And wine is also good to lower the risk of heart attacks and strokes. And it purifies the blood. You should avoid processed milk. Get all natural yogurt. The milk that is uh, produced today has a chemical in it called titanium dioxide to, to make it all white, and it's wrong. It's not good for you at all. Stay away from milk. You should instead drink rice milk, and and uh, drink grains. But stay away from milk. Only get milk from yogurt, all natural yogurt, and they sell it at Kroger's and other grocery stores. Honey is very good for you. Honey. Let's let's turn to Proverbs 24 verse 13. You know God quoted the. A land flowing with milk and honey, and that's and that's very important to understand that because uh, God. Uh, and let me turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight. I forgot to put that scripture in there, but I'm glad I remembered it. Deuteronomy chapter uh, eight. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter 8 states, All the commandments which I command thee this day, does it say some of the commandments? No, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Verse 3, And he humbled thee and allowed you to suffer and fed thee with manna or bread, which thou knew not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone or manna alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. And that's something that Christians need to understand today because your Lord and Savior quoted that scripture in Matthew 4, verse 4. He said, he quoted this, it said, man must not live by bread alone, which means obviously that man consumed bread a lot for him to say that. So, in verse 4, he says, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chastised of his son, so the Lord thy God chastised him thee. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Walk, or keeping God's commandments means simply that you walk in his ways or, or follow Yeshua because he kept his father's commandments. And he said that he did not come to, to destroy the law like a lot of Christians believe. Verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, which is a 
very delicious fruit. A land of olive oil and honey. Here's, this is God's menu again. A land where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are of iron, out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Okay, so I think we understand what his menu is, basically. Lamb or other dark meat, but that meat should not be eaten often. Bread, wine, vegetables, olive oil, pomegranate, honey, wheat and barley and vines, that's God's menu. That's what God is telling us that we should eat and focus on. And if we truly believe that Yeshua is our Savior, uh, we should follow his example. All right, so what other foods must we uh, eat and and stay away from and so forth? All right, so honey, let's go to honey, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse uh, 13. It states here, My son, eat thou honey, because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. The good thing, the, the marvelous thing about honey is that it does contain, just as well as bread, all the nutrients that you need. So it's a, it's a wonder food. It really is. And yeah, God is definitely right about this, saying that uh, it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. But he also tells you in other scriptures, don't eat too much of it, and of course, there's other scripture that states that you should not eat anything um, too much, even if it is good for you. So, Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 4. How much time I got left here? Uh, 18 minutes. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. States this. It says, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was what? Locusts, which is okay to eat, and wild honey. So he, his, why would God, I always wonder why would God state this about John the Baptist? Obviously, he wants you to understand his diet, and that this is something that we should eat too. We should eat locusts, and we should also eat wild honey, because after all, God did state that, um, John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. So I think we ought to follow his example. I think that's a smart thing to do. So, that's the example of John the Baptist as far as diet. Now, white sugar cane sugar is, is, is wrong to eat. They take all the wheat out of it and the grain out of it. It's, it's not good to eat. It's, it's pure junk food. And what I'm, I'm talking about is the sugar that that is totally white high fructose corn syrup is dangerous for you it causes diabetes that's the reason why there is diabetes today with the invention of coca-cola back in the early 1900s uh, people have there's been scores of people getting diabetes ever since and, and this high fructose corn syrup is put into almost everything uh, in the grocery stores you, you, you got to read the labels and stay away from it pop has high fructose corn syrup in it. Candy has high fructose corn syrup in it. Uh, fried foods that are fried in vegetable oil are bad for you. You can fry some things in olive oil, but you still should not make a habit of frying things because what happens is that oil gets into the bloodstream and then it can cause eventually heart attacks because so, it will clog up the veins. 
uh, spring water you should drink. I don't drink any of the faucet water, as I'm going to show you in a minute. Uh, a lot of it is contaminated. Uh, the spring water you should get, you should get the, get the spring water at Kroger's. There's some other stories. should have a K on it or a U symbol. The K or U symbol states the fact that a Jewish uh, rabbi has checked into the water and is not contaminated with any unclean meats. Now, page 198. How much time I got left here? Uh, 15 minutes. All right. Page uh, 198 to 200 of What Would Jesus Eat? read this to you here real quick. It says, you may find it interesting that in 1991, numerous health organizations demanded that the United States Drug Administration abandon the four food groups and recommend a significant reduction in sugar, fat, and food oil consumption. They also recommended that the USDA classify dairy products and red meats as optional foods, not one of the four basic food groups. Certainly, this recommendation was backed up by numerous scientific research studies that provided conclusive evidence that the high intake of dairy and meat products was a major contributing factor to the development of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and a number of degenerative, degenerative diseases. Let me uh, underscore this again because this is very important. Certainly, this recommendation was backed up by numerous scientific research studies that provided conclusive evidence that the high intake of dairy and meat products was a major contributing factor to the development of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and a number of degenerative diseases. The next year, the USDA came out with the Food Guide Pyramid to replace the four food groups. The Food Guide Pyramid shows that the largest portion of our diet, that part making up the base, should consist of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta, which should comprise between 30 and 45 percent of a person's diet. In my opinion, what the USDA did not say and should have emphasized is that these foods need to be whole grain products. I agree. The next level up the food guide pyramid is the vegetable and fruit group. Here the USDA recommends or recommended three to five servings of the vegetables a day and two to four servings of fruit a day. Vegetables should comprise 15 to 20 percent of a person's daily diet, and fruit should comprise 10 to 15 percent of a person's diet. Unfortunately, the average American seems to think that the three main vegetables to consume are french fries, onion rings, and ketchup, and that fruit should be eaten in the form of jelly, sugar-loaded fruit juice, or out of a can. Let me repeat, this is what typically an American diet is. Unfortunately, the average American seems to think that the three main vegetables consumed are french fries, onion rings, and ketchup, and that fruit should be eaten in the form of jelly, sugar-loaded fruit juice, or out of a can. For the USDA food guide pyramid to be most beneficial, a person should consume whole, fresh fruits and vegetables whenever possible. The third level up on the USDA food chain pyramid is two to three portions of milk, yogurt or cheese a day, and two to three servings a day of meat, poultry, fish, dried beans, eggs, and nuts. According to the food guide pyramid, dairy food should total no more than 10% of a person's daily food intake, and meat, beans, eggs, and nuts should also total less than 10% of a person's food intake. The USDA sets the portion size for this part of the pyramid at two to three ounces, which gives the impression that a person can consume up to nine ounces of red meat a day. That, in my opinion, is a very unhealthy amount. I do not recommend over four ounces of meat a day, preferably poultry and fish. Again, he understands, and this is a doctor, by the way, that obviously believes in God, so I would pay attention if I were you what he's saying. He states here that, in my opinion, is a very unhealthy amount. I do not recommend over four ounces of meat a day, preferably poultry and fish. Fats, oils, and sweets are the top 
are at the top of the pyramid, and this section is allocated 5% of a person's diet. This small section of the pyramid should include all fashion oils, including the oil and salad dressings, cooking oil, fast foods, and processed foods. Most Americans are way over that amount. The USDA food guide pyramid is a good start, but it doesn't provide adequate clarification for each level of the pyramid. In contrast, here is the food guide pyramid for the Mediterranean diet. So what he has here at the bottom of the pyramid is that daily physical activity should be about one hour a day. Uh, above that should be bread, pasta, rice, and, and other whole grains and potatoes. And then above that you should have your fruits, your nuts, and your vegetables. That should be daily. Uh, olive oil should be daily. Cheese and yogurt should be daily. You should have wine in, in moderation. And then weekly you should have fish, poultry, eggs, and sweets, uh, healthy sweets, not the unhealthy sweets, and then monthly should be the red meats. So that that is the um, recommended. And he says six glasses of water. Well, in some cases it could be eight glasses of water. So that is the uh, the recommended Mediterranean diet or Christ diet that we should adhere to there. So almost done here. Uh, Eleven minutes left. Now, let me give you some websites to go to. Uh, if you want organic honey, you have two options. You can go to Kroger's. Uh, my wife picks up this real, real. It's expensive, but it's, it's good for you. It's $8, and it's organic honey, and it is good. Real honey is not clear. The honey that is not clear, I mean, the, the honey that is clear is processed honey, and it's not good for you. They take all the nutrients basically out of it. Uh, the kind of honey you should get is not clear. It, it's kind of it's thick, and you can take a spoon and eat it. That's the kind of honey you need to get. Now, tropicaltraditions.com, that's tropical traditions. And if you guys want me to email these websites to you, I will. Just go ahead and email me at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com, and I'll be glad to send this to you. Uh, tropicaltraditions.com sells organic honey, all kinds of organic, including organic meats. So uh, I, I highly recommend that you go there and order your, uh, your organic foods there. Herballegacy.com. That's a website where you are able, like, if you have certain ailments, and I just read to you last week and today that the vegetables are, are good for man, including um, vegetables that are used to, to, to uh, promote the healing of a body. Well, the, the beautiful thing about HerbalLegacy.com, if you go there and click on ailments and healing, um, I think it's ailments and cleansing programs, he has a list of the most popular ailments known to man, if you just click on one of those, say, for instance, you have diabetes, you click on that, he'll recommend certain herbs for you to take, particularly his herbs and, and other herbs or vegetables to take to heal you or to promote the body's healing processes to heal you of that ailment. I don't have the time to go over all of that, but you can. You can go to Herbal Legacy, H as in Hope, E-R-B as in Boy, A-L-L-E-G-A-C.com, and you could go there and... Whatever type of ailment you have, uh, click on there, and it'll tell you exactly what you need to do to uh, stimulate the body's processes so that you can be healed of that by eating eat, eating properly. As God states, if you don't eat properly, you defile the body, and that's what causes diseases in, in most cases. Lifebalm.com, that's L-I-F-E-B as in boy, A-L-M.com. They are Dr. Christopher uh, Herbal Herb Distributor. And you can contact uh, her, and uh, her name's Cherie, and you can co contact her, and you can order uh, Dr. Christopher Herbs from her website.
Mercola, that's a doctor that uh, has a lot of good information about the deception of uh, certain foods that are marketed in this country. Uh, Nelson Jones, a friend of mine, he gave me this website. It's a good website. It's called rawfoods.com, and it emphasizes the fact that we ought to eat our fruits and vegetables raw. It's very important to do that, to eat those foods raw. Don't cook it because when you start cooking it, what happens is that the impurities are cooked out of it. And you don't, I mean, not the impurities, but the, uh, the uh, nutrition, the nutrients are cooked out of it. Of course, you should get what would Jesus eat. Um, the Juice Bible, um, let me get to that here real quick. This time I have like seven minutes. All right. Uh, you should refer to this book called The Juice Bible. It's a very important book. It shows you which fruits to be able to turn into juice. That will be very good for you. I already talked about soy. Um, I'm going to talk about house plants and how they help clean the atmosphere. Now, remember that Adam was created in the garden, and there are certain plants that help clean the atmosphere. And God did design us to be around plants. So we, we should uh, realize that uh, we need to get educated about which house plants are good to clean the atmosphere. And... There are several plants, I'm going to name them here, the English ivy, the spider plant, the golden pathos, the peace lily, the Chinese evergreen bamboo, or reed palm, the snake plant, the heart leaf, philodendron, the selum philodendron, the elephant ear philodendron, the red-edged draca, see, what is it, draconia, <laughs> draconia, I guess, comtoc, uh, draconia, Dracana, the cornstalk dracana, that's what a Janet Craig dracana and Warnick dracana and the weeping fig. So those are examples of um, house plants that help clean indoor air. Uh, you should be careful, though, because if you have animals, uh, some of these plants may be toxic to them, so be very careful when you uh, buy these indoor plants. Make sure they're not toxic. If they are, get one that is not. I know the spider plant is a, a plant that's good to clean up the air, and it's good uh, for animals, too, should they want to take a couple of um, gulps <laughs> and chew up the, some of the plants so they won't die. So anyway, that, that the spider plant, is, I, I highly recommend that you uh, try that because we already checked with a uh, plant expert, and they said it was okay. All right, so um, I just wanted to mention that about indoor plants, and the reason why is because if you go to scorecard.org, S C O R E C A R D dot org. If you go to that website and type in your zip code, and you can do this with me if you buy your PC, if you just type in scorecard, scorecard.org, I'm typing in there right now, and I live in Ohio, so I'm typing my zip code in this area, and and you can just you can just type in, in your zip code, but it'll tell you the top polluters in your county, the top chemicals released in your county. I know in mine, uh, mag it, it, it talks about manganese, glycoethers, nickel. Now, one of the things that I'm concerned about where I live at in this area is the fact about my water here. Uh, it talks about the air and then the water. And see, see how my county's water quality stacks up against others in the United States. And I click on this, and it tells me that we have one of the dirtiest waters in, in any uh, any county. 
and that's sad. And you'll find this in a lot of areas in the country. So scorecard.org tells you how polluted our society is. And because of that, we really have to we really have to be conscientious on what we eat. So I, I implore you to, to to investigate this website to see what type of pollutants are in the atmosphere in your area, and you should go ahead and get indoor plants to help um, consume all these chemicals in the air. You're not going to consume all of them, but there's nothing wrong with uh, trying to purify your environment as much as possible because it affects your blood. Whatever you breathe affects your blood. And then, you know, the Bible says that the life is in the blood, right? So we have to make sure that what our blood has is the best that we can provide. It's only common sense that we do that. So um, I think that's it here. I've I've covered everything here. And um, to recap, we need to understand that God is revealed in the Bible what foods we can eat. And, of course, he's, he's inspired man to find those, uh, some other things out on his own, but it looks like what's on God's menu here is lamb, bread, wine, vegetables, olive oil, pomegranate, figs, uh, the other, um, yeah, honey I mentioned. So uh, uh, raisin, figs, barley, and wheat, though, though, that's the kind of food that he ate, but it looks like what he ate the most was bread because he emphasized bread so much. And then there's a recipe for bread in Ezekiel 4, verse 9. Now, there's some scriptures that state that we should not be gluttons. Gluttons are people just eat, 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 eat. Whether you're eating healthy or not healthy, you shouldn't be eating, eating, eating like that. You should avoid uh, non-fermented soy. And I explain that to you in this Bible study. And we should take care of ourselves and exercise. And it's very important to, to exercise and to keep our bodies in shape. It's very important to do that. Uh, how much time I have left here? I think I can quote this one scripture. First Timothy. I think it's in First Timothy. Um, let's see. First Timothy chapter. Yeah. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. And verse eight. It says, For bodily exercise profited little. And in other scriptures, it says it does have some value. So we should exercise our bodies and and take care of our bodies as well, but we shouldn't overdo it with that. So I hope in this Bible study you have learned how to eat and uh, how to eat purely and, and, and exercise and keep your body in shape and stay away from all this junk food. And if you do so, then you're going to end up obeying the commandment not to destroy and defile your body, and you will learn how to glorify God in your mind and your body. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this Bible study. If you have any other questions, please contact me. Email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. Until then, may God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. 
and ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 